Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. to the FF Faceoff, where fantasy football is debated. Here are your hosts from the East Coast who've never heard a bet they didn't like, Michael Hoff and Anthony Servino. And what is going on, everybody? This is the FF Faceoff. I am your host, Anthony Servino. Follow me on Twitter at the Real NFL Guru. Follow the show uh, at the FF Faceoff. We can be found at all the top social media and podcast platforms. And it's Thursday, uh, but Jim Coventry is with me as well as as Frank uh, Amarite. Hopefully, I didn't butcher it. I keep trying to get this thing right off air. Uh, uh, let's start with you, Frank. Tell everybody uh, where they can find you and, and uh, your content. What's up, Anthony? What's up, Jim? Pleasure to be on the show. You came close with the last name. It's Amarante, but that's okay. You can find me on uh, Twitter at FAmaranteTFJ. Always willing to engage in debate with you. And uh, my content, you can find uh, at 4 for 4 Football, at the Game Day, and at Roto Baller. Also, I'm starting my own fan- uh, fantasy football podcast at Fantasy Jones. Look out for that. And just a pleasure to be on the on your show. Funny story, I'm visiting my parents. I just happened to see this magazine on the table that my brother must have got. Flip <laughs> the page, uh, second page here. Where all of a sudden, who do we see? The one and only Anthony Servino. So funny to just see that coincidence, uh, coincidence there. It's always cool to see your name in print. It never gets old. It really does. Yeah. It's like, you ever see the movie The Jerk when he gets, picks up the phone book <laughs> and he gets all excited? I'm somebody now. I'm a prince. But, uh, oh you goodness, know, that's awesome. but uh, Jim, uh, what's going on, man? Tell everybody, uh, obviously, where they could find you and, and what, what are you doing to get ready for uh, the upcoming season? 
Man, I'm just disappointing the masses. You guys expected me here on Wednesday, and now I show up on a Thursday, ruin everybody's day. Sorry about that. But all seriousness, I've been my big deal this offseason is I'm doing these ADP battles. I do them on the Sirius XM show. I post them on the RotoWire site. I'm going to start streaming them up to Twitter because at the end of the day, all fantasy managers are worried about is what do I do when I'm on the clock? So I'm going to take these similarly ranked players at the same position. I want to give you both the upside and the downside for that player so that you have as much in your arsenal when you're ready to make that pick as possible. I'll also give you a little actionable advice there as to which one's the upside play, which is the base play, and which is the one that you may be in between those two. So that's pretty been the most uh, much what's going on. I am going to the Kings Classic next week. I'll be in Canton, Ohio for that one. Super excited for that draft. But I've said enough. Let's get rolling. All right, so what we're going to do, uh, we are going to open up with the latest NFL news, rumors, and nuggets from training camp. And the big one, you know, we put Aaron Rodgers to bed, but Deshaun Watson is still lingering. And we saw a report last night that the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans are close to a deal. Then we see a corresponding report today saying, uh, no, they're not. They're not really close. Um I'm going to say this here, whether they're close, whether they're not close, this isn't the first time we've heard Deshaun Watson, the Eagles, uh, them linked. What does this do for Jalen Hurts? He thought this was his team, and it's almost like Tua uh, in Miami when Deshaun Watson was linked to them. You're trying to give these young guys, uh, and quarterbacks we know are a little bit fragile upstairs. It's like, should they be looking over their shoulder? Are they thinking about a potential trade? I, I think this impacts a lot more off the field, not just on the field. Go ahead, Frank. Well, yeah, definitely. You got to think that there's a psychological impact with a young quarterback hearing uh, rumors about his team pursuing a more uh, established quarterback in the league like Watson. But from a fantasy standpoint, the way I approach it is that just look at, I wouldn't downgrade Jalen Hurts too much just because obviously we have to assume he's going to be the Eagles starter. He's got a huge rushing upside. But also, in case he does go to Houston, you got to think they're going to be a tanking team. He's going to be playing catch up. He's going to have these garbage time runs late in the fourth. He's going to the down multiple scores. He'll have opportunities just get this garbage time point. So I'm not too worried about Jalen hurts from a fantasy standpoint if you're in dynasty leagues though you definitely have to be concerned Jim? yeah absolutely so when we look at the situation and i know i said this last week look roger goodell hasn't acted yet i just can't see a scenario where there's uncertainties that right now we have 22 pending cases all from women i don't know how in good conscience you put them on the field when you have a fan base and just humanity from a humanity angle, how you tell people this is okay. I just think he would alienate too many fans. I don't see it happening. Now, if there is a trade, I mean, do we think that Hertz is going to go to Houston? Would that kind of be the idea, right? That's what Aunt Frank was talking about. Yeah. So if that's the case, realistically, his fantasy value may actually go up Hertz's because he'll run more than ever there. We're, at least in Philly, he's got a, a great offensive line. They're back. They had everybody out last year, so that would be the case there. But I'm still – I am not expecting Deshaun Watson to be reinstated. I'll be stunned if he plays this year. It's possible. We know anything can happen. But I'm going to, you know, saddle up to saying not this year. Now, the Eagles, they have the capital. 
to pull off this trade. Deshaun Watson's going to be expensive. Uh, I've seen something like three to four uh, very early picks, uh, and, and then we have to throw in Jalen Hurts in there. But the Eagles, more so than the Miami Dolphins, the Eagles have it. Um, and they like to make splash moves. Howie Roseman, we've seen it in the past. He likes to make these splash moves, bring in these big-name players. So I can see something happening. I wouldn't do it until I have some kind of uh, an answer. Or if not an answer, a timeline. We don't even have that. So if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm pumping the brakes. I'm certainly not giving up Jalen Hurts in the deal if it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Now, what? On. One last thing, Anthony. So when you think about this, this is the Philly team that took on Michael Vick after the dog mm. fighting. So now I just thought about mm. that. So mm. and I know there's different players in the front office, but you know what? If they were willing to take that risk, and if they're yeah, how far of a push is it to say they're gonna do this? So I just want to throw that in there. I mean, you know, you, you bring up Vic. I know a Terrell Owens to a more of a locker room headache, but the personality like a Terrell Owens. Uh, guys like that. So this isn't out of the ordinary for Philadelphia, but there's more news out of Philadelphia. At the running back position, uh, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Elliot Shore Parks, longtime Philadelphia Eagles beat writer, uh, expects Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, and I quote, basically split touches this season. Now, at camp, I heard the number, I think, on Fade the Noise on SiriusXM. Uh, something right around 35, 36 touches for Miles Sanders in seven practices and 29 for Boston Scott. So this is real. Yeah, for sure. So you got to be a little bit concerned with Miles Sanders' volume, especially new coach Nick Sirianni comes from Indy where they rotated backs last year. You know, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, a little bit of Jordan Wilkins. So you're concerned about that, but you also have to think maybe because you got to think there'll be an, a, a, some more efficiency for Miles Sanders playing with, you know, the offensive lines now healthy. Uh, Jalen Hurts will Jalen Hurts will open up running lanes with his thread of his legs. So I know there's concerns about Boston Scott. Maybe they give him a little more work, but that could be outweighed by an uptick in efficiency. I can't believe they're pushing this envelope all offseason on Miles Sanders. I mean, they made that claim on did they, Anthony, do they have carry on or is he in Miami? I can never eat this. No, he, he's in carry on. So, so yeah, carry on's there. And obviously Scott's there and they draft Kenneth Gainwell. So they're, they're putting all this capital at running back. And yet Miles Sanders puts up 5.3 yards per carry without an offensive line last year. 73rd percentile broken tackle rate, 78th percentile yardage after conflict, contact. He has 81st percentile speed, 76th percentile explosiveness, and 84th percentile agility, and he's 211 pounds. He's not a tiny dude. This guy should be given 20 carries a week, and he should be carrying this team, and yet they're continuing to talk about getting players that are really roster fodder. These are guys that should be barely on the roster, but yet I agree. It sounds like they're going to use these other players, but to what end? Ridiculous. You know, on Boston Scott, uh, you know, yards per carry wise, uh, you know, he was at uh, 4.3 true yards per carry, 25th amongst backs. But what surprised me, 
Uh, because I was really like I had the chips pushed into Boston Scott last year. I thought it was going to have a big role. I bought into what he did uh, in the second half of what was that 2019, and and it didn't work out. Uh, he averaged 5.6, the same amount of yards per touch as Miles Sanders, 5.6 apiece, and and that shows me that. Uh, Boston Scott is a, an asset a, as a receiver. Maybe that's the role, but why would you take those touches away from Miles Sanders? I, I just it doesn't it doesn't compute. And Anthony, those Boston Scott 2019 numbers, they were a mirage because he was at hurry up when they were trailing. He was in the game. And you know how when players come into these games against nickel and dime defenses, against opponents that aren't caring about the run anymore, you see the secondary running backs put up really nice numbers in a relief effort. And that's what those numbers were. They were garbage time numbers predominantly. But honestly, between these two players and you watch them play, it, it, it's literally this is an NFL starter above average this is an nfl backup who should get five to eight touches a game and that's it again just completely maddening to me where are you guys drafting miles sanders well miles sanders is the type of running back i really like to get if i go uh wide receiver heavy in the first two rounds miles sanders is ideal there as as my rb2 in the fourth round he usually falls to and i like that as like an upside rb2 just because like I said, the efficiency should be there to help outweigh the the uh, volume concerns. I know we're gonna. The one thing though is that you you're not gonna see as much usage in the passing game with a scrambler like Jalen Hurts, because traditionally they don't check it down as much. So that's another concern. But like you guys mentioned, he's got a lot of elusiveness. So I like I like taking him as an RB two in the fourth round. You know, I have him in that grouping of running backs with David Montgomery, Darrell Henderson. And Miles Gaskin and even Michael Carter. I have them lumped all together. And it's mostly because I think Montgomery's take a little hit to his workload with Damian Williams, because right now it doesn't look like Cohen's going to be much of a thing for a while. But mm. I do see these players with partial workloads. They all have pluses and minuses. I'm happy to get any of them at that point in drafts if I need a running back at that point. However, if that pick goes End of the fourth round, I'm often taking a receiver, so I probably already have a running back. But in those drafts where I've needed a running back, I've taken a more of a chance on Gaskin because he's the least talented of the group, but he seems to have the clearest path to workload. And at that point, but Sanders, like Frank's saying, that's the one to take because talent-wise, if he gets on the field, he could he could easily be an RB1, like lower end, easily. Let's go to Arizona at the wide receiver position. And, you know, obviously uh, earlier in the week, we hear that A.J. Green's going to miss a little bit of time. Uh, now, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the reports are saying that Kingsbury views Rondell Moore as an inside receiver and Isabella, who I thought was an afterthought, as an outside receiver. Uh, how are we viewing all wide receivers in Arizona not named DeAndre Hopkins? Well, for me, I, I did like Christian Kirk just because now he'll have more opportunities. Like you mentioned, Rondell Moore playing outside. That could leave Christian Kirk in the slot where I think it's, it's more suitable for his skill set. And this is a player who at a young age, he was able to command a decent target share over 20%. I know their wide receivers weren't as good, but as we some of us believe that targets are earned. So, you know, he got open, he got those targets. So I think he could be like a late round dart throw at the end of your wide receiver group uh Rondell Moore you know he's elusive he's talented he's he's another upside play but 
as a rookie, I'd, I, I prefer to lean and go for Christian Kirk heading into, what is it, his third year now? So I, I, I like going with Kirk there. And, hey, I, I talked up A.J. Green a little bit just because I think that change of scenery is going to do wonders for him. He was disgruntled in Cincinnati, clearly didn't want to be there. But obviously it's concerning to see him already banged up. Listen, I'll never quit A.J. Green and I'll never blame anybody for not quitting him either. Yeah, no doubt. So the way that should shake out, look, we know that the Cardinals will lead the league in 10 personnel. That means four wide receivers on the field. And Kirk should be the more vertical of the two players. Now, Moore has a lot more speed. Moore runs a 96 percentile 40, where Kirk runs a 75th percentile. However, Kirk is better on the vertical route. Rondale Moore with that 94th percentile agility, 96th percentile explosiveness. I think they want to use him as the underneath receiver, get the ball in his hands from the slot and allow the other players to stretch vertically, giving him space to run. So I think both slot receivers can thrive. Remember, no teams put their foot on the gas like the Cardinals. They are Mm. running play after play after play. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get defenses worn down. And I think these players can do that. Now, the Isabella line is interesting because if you were going to rotate him and A.J. Green, here would be the thought there, a super speed guy on the outside. Well, defenses always have to account for him. If he just was running nine routes, you still have to be careful with safeties to not let a guy get past you deep. We saw this back in the 1980s. Players like Sean Jefferson, Willie Galt, they might not have been able to catch the football much, but they required a safety to shade because of the threat of speed and giving up the 80-yard play. So I think mixing him in with that speed, and if they don't cover him but with a single guy, then you may have an easy pitch and catch touchdown. So you're not drafting Andy Isabella, but I think tactically that gives them another weapon to stretch the defense. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, Jim, um, we already heard Frank's answer. Outside of DeAndre Hopkins, what receiver out of Arizona are you targeting? Is it Rondell yeah, I- Moore? I like more the most because I think he will get a lot of targets. At the end of the day, we saw last year, teams will sag multiple defensive backs and play literally dime against them because of the 10 personnel. And so what happens, they put a blanket over the top. And teams, New England taught them this. And down the rest of the stretch, we saw this. They wouldn't take out a linebacker. they take out a defensive lineman. They wanted – Defense want more speed and a blanket. Well, Rondale Moore, if there's openings in the middle, he should compile a lot of receptions with the yardage after the catch. Kirk is still a good play because Kirk's going even later. So I think there's a case for drafting both of them in best ball. I'm not in on A.J. Green because, again, I think last year he had Joe Burrow. And the efficiency, lack of efficiency of all the targets he had, I don't know what he has left. All those foot injuries and at the age he's at – 
it's hard to bounce back from those. You guys may be right. He may come back and be better, but I just don't see the clock turning back. That's difficult to do. I, I think what I'm where I'm at with AJ Green is the fact that he's no longer the alpha. He doesn't have to be the alpha. DeAndre Hopkins is there. They drafted Rondell Moore. We could be looking at a situation where AJ Green might be the three if Rondell Moore fits the bill. And then what? And what coverage is he going to get? The two or three corner? He's not getting Stefan Gilmore if they play New England. No. He's not getting Jalen Ramsey when they play the Rams twice. So it's so, a valid point. Yeah, you know, and for his price point, for A.J. Green, especially in best ball, it's hard to pass him up. No argument. No argument here. Let's uh, sure. do our, our final uh, piece of news, and it's out of Carolina. Last year, the tight end position w was forgotten, and I was one of those guys in on uh, Ian Thomas, and it clearly didn't work out, and he didn't have a ton of competition there. I think his biggest competition was Chris Manhurts, who's not even in Carolina anymore. Uh, now, Ian Thomas remains in Carolina. They go ahead and bring in Dan Arnold, Arnold a player that I like. Uh, dating back to when he was with the Saints, he's a converted receiver. Uh, he, he has a little bit of uh, speed for uh, for a tight end. I like what he has done in, in uh, what, what's the word? Um, in bunches. He's never been real consistent. Is Dan Arnold worth picking up in fantasy? They say he has a connection with Sam Darnold. I, I just don't know if I can waste a pick on it. For me, no. I'm not too interested in Dan Arnold. You know, they got DJ Moore there. They got Robbie Anderson, obviously Christian McCaffrey. And then you have Terrace Marshall, the rookie who, who's flashing in camp. That's a lot of mouths to feed, especially with Sam Darnold, who you, obviously there's concerns about him, whether or not he, he really can take the next step. And if I'm going late on tight end, there's other players I prefer, like the veteran Austin Hooper. You could, he's virtually free in drafts and he signed it to a big deal in Cleveland, so he's more proven. I'm just not too interested in Dan Arnold, given his lack of track record and too many mouths to feed in Carolina. Now, if you're in a best ball league and you're stacking some Panthers because you think that offense is going to pop and you're picking 20-plus players, I think a late pick in a Panthers stack, Arnold, remember, he only caught 31 passes last year. Eight of those were for right. over 20 yards, and two of those were over 40 yards of those eight. So it was incredible the amount of downfield plays he had. And it was interesting that Carolina made him a target in free agency. Um, you know, Ian Thomas clearly didn't give them what they wanted. And that step shows me they may have a plan for him. I agree with Frank. There's a lot of receivers in the mix here. And the defense could be vastly improved this year. And so maybe they're not chasing leads as much. So the only time, again, you're taking Darnold is if it's part of a, of a Panther stack super late in the best ball draft. Otherwise, no, you're not touching him in redraft leagues, 18-round um, drafts, none of the like. Yeah, I, I'm with you both. There's not, and as much as I like Dan Arnold, outside of maybe like in a redraft league, if I have to start two tight ends because there, there's that type of a format out there where you have to start two, two, two tight ends, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot on Dan Arnold. But if you don't have to do that, then he doesn't have redraft value. Uh, maybe if he gets hot, he's going to be on waiver wires. Uh, then you that's a name to remember, but you're not touching him in your draft. Now, before we get into our team previews, uh, Julia is asking uh, where, and this is in the live chat, uh, what, where do we put the Eagles' chances of winning the division if they landed Deshaun Watson? Well, I got to think they'd be right up there with, with the Cowboys and Assuming with Washington. Assuming he plays. 
Like, yes. let's assume he plays week one. Yeah, you got to put them as one of the favorites because, as we mentioned, they're, they're returning their starter, a few starters on the offensive line. They should be solidified there. They'd have Devontae Smith. They'd have Dallas Goddard with Miles Sanders. That's a pretty decent yeah. skills group. Uh, their, their defense should be a bit better. So I would definitely put them among the favorites if they got Deshaun Watson for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I would have to put Dallas ahead of them. Both defenses are going to be bad. Mm-hmm. I don't have any stock in either defense. I think at the end of the day, if you're going to tell me I've got Dak, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and Zeke Elliott, and the line is supposedly back healthy, I think overall the guys in Big D, yeah. even with Deshaun Watson there, Prescott to me is a close. He's close enough. Watson doesn't like to dwarf him in talent, so I think they're close enough. And so I think overall – like Frank said, they're right up there. But I think overall that lack of defense, and I think coming into a new team, they're going to be good. But I think Dallas would beat them out in that scenario. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to bet on my Cowboys here. You know, Philly, this is a year <laughs> where Philly's in a short-term rebuild, maybe maybe even a longer-term rebuild. Uh, the issue with Philly was after they won that Super Bowl, I, I think they – or Howie Roseman, which is not like him. He mismanaged his cap, the age of players. I mean, they had Alshon Jeffrey uh, for two years and were trying to move off of him, and they couldn't until this offseason. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. Uh, a lot of older guys on the defense, on the offensive line. So there's going to be a lot of turnover between uh, this upcoming offseason and, and we're going to see a whole different Eagles team in 2022. But for this year, I'm out on Philadelphia with or without Deshaun Watson. Uh, one more question from the live chat. And this is pretty juicy here. Kyler Murray <laughs> over Dak. I'm I'm totally on board with that Kyler Murray, mm. Murray over Dak. You know, uh, looking at last season, Kyler Murray was far and away the QB one before he had that injury that slowed him down and he wasn't running as much. Now he's healthy. They improved his wide receiving core. You know, Cliff Kingsbury, as you mentioned, a lot of ten personnel with four wide receivers. In the past, he couldn't really do that as much because there was receiver depth wasn't as good. Now he could run his offense at full capacity. So that's got to bode well for Kyler Murray. I know Dak has a wicked supporting cast there, but hey, he's coming off that serious injury. So that puts a tiebreaker for me and puts leans me toward Kyler Murray. I have them joined at the hip of my rankings. If I have two drafts, I take Murray and want to take Prescott in the next. I've diver- Whenever I have that pick, because I do like a fifth-round quarterback, I, I'm diversifying 50-50 on it. Because like Frank said, Murray's in a great spot and he was going to be the QB one last year, his rushing because of that shoulder yeah. injury, which he got out of passing play. He yeah. was on pace to do better than what Lamar Jackson would do on the ground. And, and that was amazing. And again, that pace of play, but at the end of the day, the Dallas defense is bad enough. And if Prescott's throwing 45 times a game, he could throw for 5,500 yards. So both of them, they're even. They're completely even. I want equal exposure to both of them. Listen, I can make a legitimate case for both of these quarterbacks to finish as the overall quarterback one. You know, talk about pace of play in Arizona. They're going to have that in Dallas, too, uh, as we saw last year in the first five games before Dak went down. And and I know he's not going to put up this average for 17 games, but Dak last season, 371.2 yards per game. He's not going to be able to keep that up. But we at least had a glimpse of the ceiling in Dallas with C.D. Lamb, who, oh, by the way, is going into year two, with Amari Cooper, with Gallup, with Zeke. And they didn't have Jarwin. So Jarwin adds another wrinkle to this offense. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm pushing the chips in on Dak Prescott, but I'm also uh, I, I also like Kyler Murray, but I'm drafting Dak more. I want to add one thing as I was doing a write up on Prescott. And I still love Prescott, but I want fantasy managers to understand this. In the three games where Dak went nuclear, there were three two things in this scenario. First, they were all. Bottom seven pass defenses, Atlanta, yep. Seattle, and Cleveland. And in all three of those games, Dallas was getting routed on the scoreboard. In those games, Prescott threw 47, 57, and 58 passes. He averaged Crazy. over 50 throws a game. Uh, so I just <laughs> want fantasy managers to get that. And in those games, so he throws like seven, I'm counting eight, 11 total touchdowns. Three of them were on the yeah. ground. So those three games were massive blowout comebacks and bad defenses. Now, I still think, like Anthony says, he's going to put up great numbers. But if fantasy managers are just looking at those three games and saying, this is what it can be, those are pretty exceptional circumstances. Yeah, and, and you bring up what Dak did, three rushing touchdowns in, in five games. In his career, to start his career, he had six rushing touchdowns in his first three years. It took a little bit of a dip because he doesn't have to run as much, but he does provide a little bit of rushing upside, just obviously not as much as a Kyler Murray or uh, or a Lamar Jackson. Now, let's go over to the AFC West, where we're going to look at uh, two teams, the Broncos and the Chargers, from a fantasy football perspective. Uh, we'll start out with the Denver Broncos. Um, what is your overall thoughts on the Denver Broncos, Frank, on their offense from fantasy? Well, you got to love the supporting cast there. Like, I love Jerry Judy. I mean, this is a guy that was neck and neck with CeeDee Lamb coming into that draft. He's got prospect pedigree. If you look at Matt Harmon's reception perception, his great, he graded out very well against man coverage. He was kind of held back by Drew Locke, just the uncatchable targets. I know he had issues with drops, but I really like Jerry Judy in year two as a year two breakout receiver, especially if what I expect to happen in that uh, Teddy Bridgewater wins the job. I think he will just be, and he'll fit in nicely with Judy. And I think it's better to start Bridgewater just because that defense is really good and he'll protect the football better. So, Hey, they have a pretty easy schedule too. You never know. They could challenge for a wild card spot. So it's a better fit to go with Teddy. And in that case, I like uh, Jerry Judy a lot. Uh, going on to Cortland Sutton, I'm not too interested in him just coming off the torn ACL. I know he's big, he's fast, he could get downfield, but I'm just looking elsewhere. I prefer Judy, like I said. Noah Fant, stud athletic tight end. If you miss out on the bigger tiers or even like Mark Andrews, you can wait and get Noah Fant. He looked good. He, he was banged up throughout the year. That suppressed his production. He could have had a better season. And then uh, the running game, I wanted to get into Melvin Gordon. I love Javante Williams, but I tweeted this out today. Like early in the year, teams tend to uh, to ease in their rookie running backs. So you might like last year, uh, Antonio Gibson had like 30 percent snap rate in week one. So you might see Melvin Gordon take the reins early on and they have a good schedule. They're favored in, a, in several games. I like targeting both of their running backs. So I do to sum it up. I like Judy best then then the running game, and then Noah Fant if you miss out on on the uh, more established tight ends. Yeah, Frank covered that extremely well, and I want to add a little to the defense because that's an important part of this. I agree with him completely on Teddy Bridgewater and how Jerry Judy would work better with him. Noah Fant is an absolute steal, so all those phenomenal points. Can't agree with you more. I do wonder about that backfield. Melvin Gordon skipped OTAs. I don't think the front office is happy with him at all. They have no connection to him because they didn't bring him in. And I hear whispers of different people thinking there's a chance they trade him or cut him 
because they brought Mike Boone in in the offseason. And the people in their front office were familiar with Mike Boone. And Boone is one of the most explosive players in the league who hasn't gotten a chance yet. So I could easily see that backfield going Javante Williams and Boone if Gordon goes. Go ahead. I just wanted to add one thing to just to make it clear. I love Javante Williams. I prefer him over Melvin Gordon. It's just that if they do keep Melvin Gordon on the roster as like that ugly veteran pick that you could start the first couple weeks, Melvin Gordon certainly look a little more appealing to me. But I 100% agree with you. You know, they traded up for Javante Williams. They clearly love the the kid. He's going to take over at some point. So I definitely prefer him for sure. Yep. And so the, the one thing I wanted to add is about, I want to go further on the defense because that impacts the offense here. So Fangio is now in year three with them. And he had a train wreck of injuries last year. His front seven was completely decimated. He had no pass rush. Linebacking core was hurt. He gets most of the important players back. Bradley Chubb and Von Miller should be full goals in the pass rush. They bring in three cornerbacks. Kyle Fuller, who used to play under Fangio. They bring in Ronald Darby. They draft Patrick Sertan. And last year, they brought in Bryce Callahan, who played for Fangio in Chicago. This defense, between the pass rush they could get from their two studs and with four legitimate cornerbacks, this could be one of the best defenses in the league because Vic Fangio blurs those lines of of coverage and quarterbacks struggle always against his defense. Now, if you give him talent and he put up like a top 12 defense with nobody last year, this could be one of those defenses that holds opponents down so much. And this goes with what Frank said about quarterback. Teddy should be their quarterback because they don't want their quarterback throwing interceptions and making mistakes. They want a quarterback who helps them move the chains just enough. And so they, They could end up being a very run-heavy team to slow the game, control the clock, win 17 to 10 in games like this. So Judy is a great player, and he may see a lot of targets. And I still like Noah Pham. But I think the upside of this offense may be capped by the defense holding opponents low. Listen, I'm with you guys on who the quarterback in Denver should be. Uh, and I'm not a Teddy Bridgewater guy in fantasy, but in terms of winning football games, if the right defense is behind him and the right supporting cast is around him, as we saw for that year in Minnesota and for that uh, stint in uh, in New Orleans when he had to play, Teddy Bridgewater can win football games. But will the Denver Broncos put Bridgewater out there? I know the reports are saying that they're neck and neck, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. How do you see this actually playing out? And do you want any of these guys in fantasy? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In terms of the court, the quarterbacks, no, I'm not interested in them in fantasy. Like you mentioned, the defense is going to be absolutely elite. There's no point even really doing a Broncos stack in best ball. It's just not appealing to me. Uh, I really hope Bridgewater wins the job. I think he will. But I also could see like them just giving Drew Locke one last chance, and then he, he, he screws up somehow in week one or two, throws a pick, and then he's benched, and that's it. And then Teddy, it's a Teddy show. I could see that too. That, that would be – I just don't see a scenario where Drew Locke is a starter for the whole year, though. Here's my line. 
their head coach is a defensive coordinator. He's not putting in the mistake guy if he doesn't have to. Uh, you guys may be right. Maybe he does play. I think at the end of the day, I think Fangio is scared to death that Drew Locke is his quarterback. And so I think at the end of the day, if it's an offensive head coach, maybe it's a little bit different. But, yeah, I think that there's no way Fangio is going to come out of this saying, yeah, let's roll with a risk taker. Let's go to the running back position. And, and you guys brought up, and, and, and Jim, you brought it up. And, Frank, I, I feel like uh, I almost got my head taken off a few weeks ago in the game day NFL staff chat when I said the Broncos are probably going to trade or cut Melvin Gordon. You, you would have thought, like, I hurt somebody's, a lot of people's feelings the way that I got attacked for that take. <laughs> I still believe it. I still think Melvin Gordon is poised for the Rams Poise for Atlanta, poise for Miami. Um, I'm in on Javante Williams. I, you know, I don't like overdrafting rookies, but he's one player that I will reach a little bit for. Uh, what are your? We heard your thoughts on, you know, how this backfield could potentially play out. Is Javante Williams a, a must target for you guys? Yeah, for sure. Just because like he, he, his ability to just break tackles. He's a really good runner. And, you know, who knows, maybe we see a, a Cleveland Browns situation from a couple years ago. I know one of my friends on Twitter, I believe it was him who tweeted this, at Christian Williams. I think it's at C. Williams NFL is his handle. Basically, he said we could see like a Brown situation where you had Carlos Hyde start off the year and then they trade him and go to Nick Chubb, in this case, Javante Williams. I thought that was a pretty cool comparison. We could see that. We could definitely see Gordon traded at some point. Uh, but I definitely like Javante Williams. One thing, like I said, if they ease him in, it might be a good idea to have another running back who has a more established role uh, for the early stage of the season until Javante Williams picks up steam. Because uh, I think by the end of the year, he's going to be a major factor for you, especially looking at his schedule. After their bye, they face the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Lions, the Bengals, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Chiefs. So, I looked at Sharp Football, and in their uh, rush defense blend uh, of their straight strength of schedule tool, like those are all exploitable matchups. So this is a good schedule. You gotta like you gotta like Javante Williams this year for sure. I'm not aggressively targeting Williams because typically he's at that fifth round spot, which is where I'm taking my quarterback in most of my drafts. That's where I'm getting Kyler. That's where I'm getting Dak. So that's the reason I'm out on him. It's not a point that I don't like him. I am a little concerned they got 25th percentile offensive line play per Sports Info Solutions last year, and they really didn't make much in the way of adding to that line. Also, they were middle of the pack in 11 and in 12 personnel. So the, sometimes they would use three receivers. About half the time they would use two tight ends. But the problem for them is going to be when they go two tight ends, they're going to get a heavy box act against them. And with Teddy and the coaching staff they have, and I don't trust Pat Shermer not to throw against light seconders. I think he's old school enough where he's going to run his running backs into heavy boxes with a bad offensive line. And so I think Javante Williams, like Frank said, he's going to break some tackles. He's going to have his moments. But I think at the end of the day, this offense is going to grind a lot. And I think, it, you know, again, where you're drafting him as a running back to, absolutely, absolutely. But again, that point of the draft, I'm not targeting. But if fantasy managers are, I, I can't steer you away from Williams. But I think – I think he's going to lack like big upside, but you're not drafting for upside where you're picking him. You're drafting him for volume. So you probably get that. 
Now let's head over to the wide receiver position and Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, they could emerge as a, a 1A, 1B type of tandem. Now, I know Cortland Sutton's coming off the knee, but all reports at a Denver training camp right now, it's like full speed ahead, Cortland Sutton. And this is a quote from Drew Locke. Looks like the old court again, making the catch of the day at camp day after day. Uh, which Denver receiver are you targeting? I'm a little bit more partial to Cortland Sutton, but I'd like to hear your guys' uh, point of view. Yeah, so like I really love Jerry Judy. I love his ability to get open. His separation skills are great. Uh, as a 21-year-old, he still put up 800 yards or so, which is pretty impressive with for that early career production. And like we said, like I said, I think Teddy Bridgewater will win the job, and I think his skill set aligns uh, better with Jerry Judy. I know though Sutton is good in his own right. You know, he could be a monster in the red zone. He's got that size. I'm leaning Judy, but I can't really fault you if you choose Sutton. Yeah, I again agree. It's predicated on the quarterback. Drew Locke would unlock Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton is the master at winning 50-50 balls. But the problem is that Teddy is unlikely to take those risks as frequently. He will throw downfield at times, but he's not one that's going to press the issue. And I think Cortland Sutton, we may, we're not just telling, saying he's a deep threat only. He can run all the routes, but he pads his fantasy numbers with those big catches. When, when Locke was under center last year, Tim Patrick was having 100-yard games. So if Locke gets in there, Cortland Sutton has massive upside because we know Locke's not afraid to go YOLO. But um, like Frank said, if it's Teddy Bridgewater, Judy got 113 targets last year, caught less than half, 52. Now 13 were his fault for drops, but the rest of those, bad, accurate, bad accuracy. Um, Locke can't hit his receivers with precision. But if it's Teddy, give him those 113 targets again, he's catching 80 of those. And all of a sudden you take 80 catches, now you're looking 1,100 yards. So I think it's all quarterback predicated. So fantasy managers who are drafting early, you've got to make the determination of who you think the quarterback is. If we're drafting once they name a starter, I think we go based on that. ADP-wise, Jerry Judy, 64.9 on underdog. Cortland Sutton, 69.3. You bring up Cortland Sutton, and if you're taking a shot at one of the Denver receivers in the back of your draft, K.J. Hamler didn't play a ton last year. Court, uh, or Tim Patrick uh, you know, had a couple of 100-yard games, like you said. Uh, I like Tim Patrick. I think there's a role for Tim Patrick here, but in best ball, if we're looking at him in fantasy football, do you guys have any interest in a Tim Patrick, or would you rather pivot to KJ Hamler or you know what I don't want Teddy I don't like Teddy Bridger or Drew Lockett quarterback I don't want either one in the back yeah you know I'm out on those players I know they have some potential and they showed some flashes last year just like I said I, I don't really I would only roster them if I'm stacking the Broncos and it's just not a real appealing situation for me to stack in best ball with that elite defense and questionable quarterback play those two are more like in a season-long league where like, you know, let's say Cortland Sutton misses time. That's big for Tim Patrick. Uh, let's say Jerry Judy misses time. That's big for KJ Hamler, where they could become like a solid waiver wire pickup. So that's the only case where I'd be too interested in them. 
Yeah, and if, like Frank said, and Anthony was into making his best ball, I definitely can't take Tim Patrick because I can't count on an injury. It would be more to Sutton than to Judy because I think at the end of the day, Patrick wouldn't be a good one-on-one switch for Judy because Judy's really more of an uses an X type, whereas I think Tim Patrick's more of a stretch Z receiver down the sideline, go deep. Um, K.J. Hamler's interesting only with Locke because, again, he's blazing fast, but he's a slot guy. He's 5'8", 178. He's not an outside receiver. He catches 50, 50, 55 of 88 um, passes. I mean, direction. he had a lot of targets, actually. But he has a good season. The deep ball was working for him. He got a couple of touchdowns. But, um, you know, anyway, K.J. Hamler would only be if you're certain it's going to be Locke. But, again, with the defense being as good as we think, how many deep shots are they really going to take? So at the end of the day, it'd be a 28-round draft for me to take K.J. Hamler. That would be it. As, Otherwise, no. As we finish up the Denver Broncos, Noah Fant, underdog ADP, 105.6. Uh, I have a little bit more exposure with Noah Fant this year than I initially thought I would have, despite not knowing a ton about the quarterback situation. I, I think there is something here. I think there's some upside and some ceiling for Noah Fant, but this tight end position, you know, where you have to get him, uh, I'm the type of person I'd rather wait and grab a couple in the back. And in the places I have Noah Fant right now, it, it was out of necessity or a tight end premium where I reached a little bit for my tight end, but he's not normally a guy. Like I know I, I said I have a little bit more than I thought I would, but it's still not a ton. I just don't know if we'll ever get to that ceiling. If you look at all of the other pieces in Denver, what is your thought on Noah Fant? I really like Noah Fant. You know, he's really athletic. He could get downfield at a high level, especially for a tight end, former first rounder. Like I said, he was banged up last year, which kind of uh, affected his production. The only tight ends I'd really take over him are obviously Kelsey Waller, Kittle, uh, Andrews, Hawkinson, and Pitts. I have him like tight end seven. I really, this is more of betting on the talent. I think with him healthy, he'll make, he, he has some upside. And especially if one of those other targets goes down, he'd be, uh, he, you could really see him uh, reach his ceiling. So this is just a bet on the talent with Noah Fant. I, I prefer him over someone like Dallas Goddard or a Logan Thomas, which is around that tier. I like swing for the fence in that sense. Yeah, and Noah Fant is the one player who's immune to the quarterback play on this team. He will be fine regardless of quarterback because he could be lethal in any part of the field. And when Frank mentioned that Fant had an injury last year, for those that didn't watch the games, Noah Fant was frequently pulling up on that ankle during games. He would play. He played 15 games. He was not close to 100%, yet 673 yards in 15 games. For a guy with on a bad ankle in his second year, you know what? The sky is the limit. And we talk about Kyle Pitts athleticism, and I get they're different players. 99th percentile 40 time, 97th percentile explosiveness, 96th percentile agility. I don't think talent-wise there's that big of a difference between Noah Fant and Kyle Pitts. I have people wow. roast me for that one. But you know what? You don't put up those numbers. That's absolutely elite. Those numbers are astronomical. And they're actually better than what Kyle Pitts' testing numbers are. And so Pitts may have that wide receiver, you know, background type where he can go to the outside. And I get that. But if Noah Fant was used as a target monster, and I think that's where Pitts' advantage this year is. It's that Atlanta's going to trail. 
They're going to throw the ball 45 times a game. Denver might throw it 30 times, 35 times. So I think that's why Pitts is more valuable in Fant this year. But if Fant was in Atlanta and Pitts was in Denver, I know a Fant would be the tight end three for me. Agreed. Let's go to, uh, you know, as we're going to close out the show, let's go over to Los Angeles Chargers. And the Los Angeles Chargers, they're one of those teams where if they can stay healthy and Justin Herbert plays like he played at least for the first eight to ten games last year, we could be looking at a potential, you know, you're talking about uh, Denver challenging for a wild card spot. The Chargers can challenge for a wild card spot and then some. If you remember, they're about two or three years removed uh, from really pushing the Kansas City Chiefs, wait, what was it? Philip Rivers was his second to last year uh, uh, with the Chargers. I'm in on the Chargers. I, I like the Brandon Staley addition as head coach. I, I love what he's going to do for this defense, but it's really about Derwin James, Joey Bosa, and the rest of the studs on this defense staying healthy. And we could be looking at the Chargers, a surprise team that comes out of nowhere in 2021. Yeah, definitely. You got to think with those players coming back, the defense is going to be much improved. You got to love what Brandon Staley did with that Rams defense last year. This is going to be one of the more improved defense, most one of the most improved defenses in the NFL. They're definitely a playoff contender. But one thing is this improvement at defense makes me a little less optimistic of Justin Herbert just because he won't be in those shootouts as often. And, you know, he's going high. He's going at a stage in the draft where the opportunity cost is like a Russell Wilson. So that is making me less uh, positive, feeling feeling less positive about Herbert. But he's still a top 10 quarterback for me, for sure. Yeah, Herbert nearly had 600 attempts and he didn't play week one. It's 595. So they, like you said, Frank, they were throwing a ton. Anthony, you mentioned this earlier. He wilted down the stretch, though. And we got to throw out week 17 because Kansas City had all their backups in. They, they pulled everybody. Now, you take weeks 12 to 16, one touchdown, zero, two, two, and one. So basically all those three and four touchdown games he had in the first half, those were gone. And it wasn't like he was playing murderer's row. He plays Atlanta, the worst pass defense, 243 and two touchdowns. The Raiders, 24th, 314 and two touchdowns. And then Denver, who was 22nd last year, 253 and one touchdown. It was a tale of two halves for Justin Herbert. I love what they did with the offensive line, getting Rayshon, Slater in, they brought in Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer. So I love what they did with the line. But at the end of the day, like Frank said, if their defense is a little better, he doesn't have to throw 45 times a game. He also benefited early in the season from an unsustainable deep ball rate. Anytime he would throw it up deep, it was Dale, Jalen Guyton, Tyron Johnson, and they were coming down with everything. Those disappeared in the second half. It was already unsustainable. So again, very good quarterback, should put up numbers. Definitely not saying he'll be bad, but I think his reality lies between his two halves of last year. Not He's not as bad as the second part of the season, and he may not be as crazy as the first half. Good, but not crazy good. Where are you targeting in terms of, let's say, tiers? Uh, you know, obviously the, the first tier, we talked about Dak, you have Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. That next tier, does that start with Justin Herbert or does he fall closer to the middle? He's got to figure you have Russell Wilson. You, got, you can mention maybe Joe Burrow. For me, for me, I prefer Russell Wilson because 
Their new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, is going to emphasize tempo. tempo. They're going to play at a higher pace. They're going to put in more short to intermediate targets, which will help Russell Wilson. And like we said, just the the upgrades on defense. I might even prefer Tannehill just because he runs a little bit. And, you know, they got A.J. Brown. I mean, Julio Jones now to go with A.J. Brown. So Herbert, for me right now, I have him around quarterback in the 7-8 range. Uh, but... The he obviously has upside. It just I'm concerned, like you said, the tailing off in the second half and the improvement on defense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't forget fantasy managers out there. He can run a little bit. 234 yards, not great, but five rushing touchdowns. That was pretty impressive. But again, he's like like Frank said, he's not a huge runner. Certainly that, that hurts him against the Russell Wilsons of the world. Now, I am very high on the trio of quarterbacks of Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady. I really believe all three of those guys are in situations where they could put up a massive touchdown total. They are obviously very, very established. Stafford in different ways, but he goes at McVay, who definitely schemes receivers open. So I did put um, Herbert beneath those three, just because I know what I'm getting with those three quarterbacks. Again, Stafford, I get it. I got to weave a little narrative, but I think I got to weave more of a narrative for Justin Herbert. So he's not far from that group, but I'd rather have Brady or Aaron Rodgers instead of Herbert at that point. Let's go to the running back position, and this backfield looks crowded, but it's really not. This is Austin Eckler's backfield. Behind him, you have Justin Jackson and, 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 and Kelly, but Austin Eckler, he's creeped into the back of the first round. He only played in 10 games last year, but still managed to finish ninth in fantasy points per game. He was one of the more efficient backs in the league, five and a half yards per touch, 4.6 yards per carry, and again, he was a little bit banged up. With Justin Herbert there now getting into his second season, you don't have uh, Hunter Henry uh, taking all those targets. Could we see a big-time year out of Austin Eckler in fantasy football? For sure. you got to love the target share that he has. Obviously, running back targets are more valuable from a fantasy perspective than a carry, especially if you're playing half or full PPR leagues. And we saw Eckler average almost seven targets per game last year. I have no reason to believe that will decrease going into this year, especially like you said, Hunter Henry's not there anymore. There's really just Keenan Allen, then it's Austin Eckler, then there's Mike Williams. So it's a pretty narrow target tree there. He's going to get peppered with targets. He's definitely, you got to consider him an RB1. The one concern with him is that his size, you know, maybe it's it might be tougher for him to last a full season, but obviously that's speculation. You just... It's hard to predict injury, so you got to love the passing, the upside in the passing game there. Yeah, Frank makes a lot of good points, and obviously the fantasy community is the same. They're putting Eckler like running back eight. Now, we all know he hasn't had more than 132 carries in any season of his career, and I, and last year, though, he was on pace to see a little more than that, but, but otherwise, you're right. They're not going to grind him between the tackles. Like Frank said, it's the passing game. One thing that I noticed in my research, though, was that, yes, the target share was great. He had an 11, a 16, a 9, and a 9 for targets, but then in the last three games of Justin Herbert, the targets fell off. They went down to four, three, and then in that KC game where they didn't play anybody, he had seven. But I was interested by that because his targets were like double digits. And the game, he, the only game he didn't have that nine targets was the game he ripped his hamstring. So it was basically he averaged like twelve targets a game in the first four, you know, full games that they were ready for. And when that drop came, I wondered what was happening. And at the end of the day, all I hear is, look. Justin Herbert's a franchise quarterback with a big arm. 
if I'm an offensive coordinator, do I want him dumping a lot of balls? Do I want him dumping off 10 balls a game to a running back? Or do I want my franchise quarterback throwing the ball to Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, the tight ends? I don't think I want my franchise quarterback dumping off all day. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Eckler is such a, ph a phenomenal talent that they can't ignore getting him the ball. But it, this game is about the quarterback. And if that's what you want in a big arm dude, I think those last few games where his targets were a little bit suppressed, it could be closer to that than it was those 12 targets a game. And so I'm not saying Eckler's not a, a running back one. I'm saying, just remember, there was a little bit of a change down the stretch. Before You know, uh, we're going to be getting over into the wide receiver position, but almost like 99% of the time I'm taking Aaron Jones over Austin Eckler. I just trust the situation more, uh, and, I, and I trust Aaron Rodgers uh, a little bit more as well. Let's go to wide receiver. We know what Keenan Allen is. He's a stud, and he proved that even more so last season with uh, Justin Herbert. But behind Keenan Allen, uh, what do you guys think? Mike Williams, they brought in Josh Palmer, the rookie. They have Jalen Guyton, who played well at times last year, Tyron Johnson played well at the end of the year which one of these wide receivers if any are you targeting uh in the back of your fantasy drafts well i really like mike williams just because what offensive coordinator joe lombardi has been saying all off season that uh you know he i think his quote was something like i draft this guy or i'd bet on him getting a career high in target just because he said that Williams plays the X uh, position in his offense, which traditionally uh, gets a lot of targets. So I think we're going to see a career year out of Mike Williams. And, you know, he can get downfield. He could make a mess in the red zone. So I do like Mike Williams a lot. I think Frank is on to something here because we talked earlier. You got a big arm quarterback. Do you want to run your pass game through a slot dude who averages 6.7 yards per target last year? Do I really want to go there? Who averaged 9.9 .9 yards per catch? There's nothing there. He's a great player. Keenan Allen runs routes like nobody's business. But at the end of the day, that's what you've got. Yardage after the catch, 4.6. It was about middle of the league. So Keenan Allen is pretty much a catch and fall dude with a couple yards beyond it. But at the end of the day, there's no upside in that. And if I want my franchise quarterback, Mike Williams has that high first round pedigree, fourth pick, I believe, overall. And he's never been utilized. And if Justin Herbert is who they think he is. Well, you got to use Mike Williams a lot more than Keenan Allen. Now, certainly he's not going to see more targets than Allen, but I think, again, instead of it being way apart, that's got to be a lot closer. So I think Keenan Allen is a guy who you're expecting last year. It was like 12 targets a game. That's got to go down. I like Mike Williams. I like the situation, but in terms of where you're drafting him, uh, he's going as a wide receiver two off the board. I'm using Fantasy Data's ADP. Right in front of him is Brandon Cooks, and Cooks is a player that I really like. And also a few spots behind uh, before them is Antonio Brown, uh, who really, if you take a look at Antonio Brown and the games he played and Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown and Godwin were really close, and, and you're about a uh, five, six-round difference between those two players. Definitely. You got to like what Antonio Brown showed last year. But the thing with Mike Williams, like just the combination of the new coaching staff talking him up, the fact that Hunter Henry's gone, there's more of a clear path to target, especially in the red zone. Hunter Henry ate into that. And now Mike Williams is like the main guy there. So that's why I prefer Mike Williams there. And I know Brandon Cook's going to see a lot of volume. But, hey, it's Tyrod Taylor there, and that's not really someone who's going to be airing it out. So you got to 
temper your expectations. Although I do like Cook as that like ugly vet type that usually falls in drafts just because people like to target the young, flashy toys. Yeah. Jim? You know, Mike Williams was used as a stretch Z. So for listeners, it's a downfield receiver his whole career. That's all he sees, downfield balls. And I get it. The dude's huge, six foot four, 218. But that said, he has a better skill set than that. And if Lombardi wants to make him the X, that's because he wants to get his the ball into Mike Williams' hands earlier in the route. Let him bully defensive backs. Let him get yardage after the catch. Make him a more diverse receiver. But at the end of the day, when you're just turning him into a situational deep threat, that was a misappropriation of a player who was picked fourth overall in the draft. I, seventh overall. I'm sorry, it was seventh, not fourth. But, um, but that's the point. And so... I do think Mike Williams can see 80 targets. He can see 90 targets. Now, that's where you're drafting him. That's a value because this is a player that he has had the double-digit touchdown season. He has had the 1,000-yard season, just not together. This is the season that could get put together. And for where you're getting him, and again, we like the players. He's 26, but he's still on the way up because he hasn't been used. Give me him over the players who are on the way down or have sketchy quarterbacks um, you know, more than more like Brandon Cooks. Mike Williams is a rock solid choicer. Let's close with the tight end position here. And I just saw a report that Donald Parham is could see an extended role this offseason. He's or this upcoming season. He spent the offseason working out with Justin Herbert. Uh, he turns 24 very, very soon. Meanwhile, the veteran addition, Jared Cook, turns 34, or he is 34. Uh, last year, Cook didn't have a great year, but I don't know if that is because of Jared Cook. It was more of the situation in New Orleans. But if you go back to 2019, even at his age, ninth in fantasy points per game, one of the better red zone threats, and could still stretch the field on seam routes, uh, which one of these tight ends are you buying into? I'm going to err on the side of the veteran and Jared Cook. Either way, you're not paying a high price for either one of them. Yeah, you gotta you gotta uh, prefer Jared Cook here just because they signed him. He's a veteran. You gotta defer to the veteran here. But it is interesting what you said about Parham. Uh, what you could do is let's say you're playing in a large scale best ball tournament and you have a Chargers stack. You got your Justin Herbert. You got Eckler. You got either Keenan Allen or Mike Williams. You can even throw in a Donald Parham there. I would bet very few teams would have that would have him on their team. So that could really give you some leverage on your competitors and help you but other than that i wouldn't really be looking at i i'd prefer cook but i'd i wouldn't in a season long really look at the tight end position here maybe if cook got injured parham would become a waiver wire ad i think parham is a red zone guy at the end of the day for his massive side jared cook is still a seam stretcher he's 34 years old listen to his last few years since he's been 30 in Oakland in 2017, 688 yeah. yards and two touchdowns. 2018 in Oakland, 896 and six scores. 2019 with a noodle arm, Drew Brees, 700 yards and nine touchdowns. Last year, an, a Drew Brees without an arm, 504 yards and seven touchdowns, all because of Brees. This guy can still pressure the seam, and we've talked the entire time about the big-arm quarterback. Well, what quarterback is better qualified of throwing a power arm down the seam to a big, open, mobile target? Jared Cook could feast because the middle of that field, instead of those little dump-offs to Keenan Allen, how about 18 yards down the field to a streaking Jared Cook who still can run? 
Yeah, I'm certainly buying into Jabbered Cook over Parm. Now, obviously, in Dynasty, I'll buy into Parm a little bit. But this was a great show, guys. Uh, Frank, Jim, tell them, uh, tell everybody uh, where they can find you and what you will be doing to get ready for the upcoming football season. Well, you can find me on Twitter at FAmaranteTFJ. That's A-M-M-I-R-A-N-T-E. Always interacting with my followers. Love debate. Loving, love going at it. Uh, you can find my written content at for, for, for Football and Rotoballer and The Game Day and my podcast at The Fantasy Jones. To prepare for the season, you know, uh, keeping up to date on any training camp news, uh, refining my rankings. I'll be writing some DFS content. I'll be writing some betting content. Uh, so just hype for the season. It's fast approaching. And you can find me at Jim Coventry NFL. If you have Sirius XM, you can catch me on the Roto-Wire show on Saturdays and Sundays. I'll be there Sundays until the regular season starts, but Saturday all season long. Roto-Wire, I do a lot of live streams, so I'll be picking those up a little bit more now. So definitely catch those. But, yeah, that's where you can find me. And, Anthony, I always appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, it was great, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. This was a fantastic show tonight. Uh, everybody out there, enjoy the Hall of Fame game, our first taste of NFL action. I will be back Saturday uh, right around 10, 11 a.m. to discuss my uh, 2021 running back rankings. But until then, have a good night, and we'll see you Saturday.